Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, July 31st. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about what else? COVID-19 in Arkansas. Uh, we'll, we'll also talk about uh, how it relates to schools and sports and politics. Um, and then we'll probably touch on some odds and ends, including the latest in the Pope County Casino saga. Mm-hmm. Joined as usual by Max Brantley. Good afternoon. So... Um, I guess let's start. There's lots, lots as always to talk about COVID-19 related topics, but uh, news today was all about uh, schools and sports. Uh, The governor uh, said that uh, that contact sports uh, and band and cheerleading can can start at least begin to to resume normal normal practicing and, and preparing as if we're going to have a normal season. Yeah, they're going to start practicing next week, I guess not full contact. And then I guess if something weird happens, they will, uh, something might happen, but I think the anticipation is a week from now, they'll have full, full team practice and start playing games toward the end of August, unless something strange makes them change their mind. And then, uh, that's yeah, the SEC has has announced a plan to go forward as well. Yeah, the SEC is going to play a ten game schedule starting September the twenty sixth or twenty eighth, and only conference teams. I mean, it's all about the money, as far as I'm concerned. I, I I I think I've said it before, but I don't get how playing two fewer games and only playing people in your conference somehow makes it safer. It makes no sense to me, but. But uh, the SEC commissioner said this is all about educational goals, you understand. So, I mean, what a what a joke. I mean, the SEC is basically the COVID-19 conference. Nine of the 13 states that are the worst red zones and, and ought to shut down, according to health experts, are in the SEC, including Arkansas, of course. Only Kentucky and Missouri are, are on the outside of the outside of the bubble. So I don't know. But it's and it's the same way in Arkansas. You know, we're going to play football. And, you know, it was on a day when we had a bunch more deaths and 750 more cases. And and it was also on a day when there was an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said, well, you know, we don't know for sure, but you could associate a decline in COVID-19 last spring with the decision to close all the schools in America. So it would follow that opening them all up might go in the opposite direction. But worse than that, uh, Vox did, a, did an analysis of the benchmarks that you're supposed to follow on uh, – on whether you're ripe to reopen, and th- that is the number of new cases, your infection transmission rate. Arkansas meets none of them. We meet none of them, and we're in like phase three of reopening, and we're one of the worst states in the country. It's all about the bucks. It's all about the business. Asa Hutchinson went and said, oh, I've met with people around the state, and we've just got to have our sports. If you play sports, you have better grades and better attendance and better discipline and stay out of trouble and think better about yourself and you know, I, I mean, I, I think there is a benefit to extracurricular activities, and, and I, I don't wholly disagree with that. But the idea of guys spitting on each other in football or or, or, or the band out there blowing spit out of their horns is, is a little problematic. They did say they're kind of holding off for a minute on guidelines on, on Corey, so there is, so there is that. I, I don't know. It's like I'm in Twilight Zone, and, and, and you should mention your story. You got the uh, the tape of the 
telephone conference between the interim health director, Jose Romero, and, and superintendents from around the state. And you also got the education department survey. And most school districts in Arkansas are not ready to reopen. They don't have enough protective equipment and gear. And, and the, the health director of the state health department essentially said in response to a direct question about reopening the superintendents, well, this is an experiment. You know, we really don't know how it's going to turn out. We hope good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was pretty candid. And, and he also declined to, to give definite answers on several points and, and said, you know, I, this is all fluid. We're, we're sort of trying to figure it out as we go. But in the survey conducted this week by the Arkansas Department of Education, which is technically ongoing, I think there were maybe 13 or so districts that hadn't responded, and then districts have the opportunity to update, only 30% said that they had adequate uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, to complete the first semester of in-person instruction. Uh, I'd say that's pretty worrying. I mean, the the state bad did announce this week that it would spend a million dollars to purchase a stockpile that that could help. But, uh, you know, I think we don't really know how the usage, usage rates will go for all these supplies. So um, guaranteeing that will be difficult. Um, and then in the, in the call with with uh, Romero that you referenced, one of the things that superintendents uh, seemed especially freaked out by was the idea that the, the health department will not necessarily be contacting school districts if it learns that students or family members of students have been infected. So it will be on families to self-report to schools uh, eventually, the contact tracing would would likely reach the schools. But as several superintendents pointed out, you know, you've you've got potentially a three to five or longer day uh, window where uh, you know folks who've if been if you're uh, lucky, yeah, if you're lu- I, you know, I saw that comment, and you know, and I think Dr. Romero is is a pretty straight shooter, but I mean, he's in a political job, but. This loosey-goosey thing of, oh, they'll eventually kind of put two and two together and hook, hook these infected families up with the school. I mean, come on. That isn't how it works, particularly in a state that doesn't do enough testing, doesn't do enough tracing, and keeps saying, oh, we're going to be doing more people. Just just hang on there. And we keep adding exponential number of cases. And, and I think it's worth noting that in the daily honor roll of counties that have the most new cases, they're in every corner of the state. They're Sebastian, they're Benton, they're Washington, they're Mississippi, they're Independence, they're Union, they're Jefferson, they're Pulaski. It's everywhere. This, this, we, we, we have had this crazy, I mean, I heard this guy from the Activities Association say, well, if we play football, that'll be good, because otherwise these athletes are somehow going to other states to play or something. I didn't understand that to begin with, but if they're all here staying close to home, we'll be safer. Why? Where's the evidence that being in Arkansas is safer? It's nuts. We're one of the hottest spots of the country. Yeah, and in, in an early part of the conversation, Romero said or conceded that we're not doing enough testing and our contact tracing is not moving fast enough. But the hope is that all that will come together 
uh, in time for the start of school. And you've heard similar from the governor. Oh, so, the, the great by and by, you know. The, the, the governor like, is. The, the president's going to be fixing our testing situation just any day now. Right. Yeah. That's if you're putting your stock in that. Uh, <laughs> probably not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, the governor has. He has both been definitive. We're starting school on the week of August 24th, um, but has hedged a little bit this week uh, in terms of, you know, we know we're not where we need to be. We need to get below 10 percent. We've got a lot of work to do if we want to open schools. So, I mean, it seems like he's leaving some room open. But, oh, I, you know, I think the whole plan about getting everybody ready to do blended learning is to get them ready to be online for the expectation they may have to shut it down entirely again. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I was frankly happy to see the polling done by this Northeast College Consortium that showed uh, Hutchinson's numbers plummeting on the job he's doing. On It's gone from 65% to 41%. I, I think it's too high. I mean, he presents, he's accessible. I give him that. And he's out there every day. But it's bullshit. You know, so many days, it's just crapola. It's just not true. It's just happy talk. It's in its spin. And it's, it's, we're in a terrible situation here. Earlier this week, you, if you listen carefully to him, you might have thought he wasn't going to have football. But I always thought he was just because tell people that can't play half football in high school, not going to happen. Not, not from this guy. The coaches need to go to work. They need their stipends, you know. I mean, I, anyway, I, I'm just I'm just deadly pessimistic about it all. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about the politics uh, surrounding the virus. We talked last week about the, the Arkansas Legislative Council declining to uh, take up a vote on funding for extra contact tracing in northwest Arkansas, specifically for the uh, Latino and Marshallese populations up there that have been so um, disproportionately affected by the disease. Um, that eventually made it through this week after, uh, you know, the, a lot of urging by the governor. But man, to listen in on those hearings and... and uh, Idiots. Uh, Idiots. That's all. Idiots. You know, I mean, talking about hydro, hydroxychloroquine and, and I mean, and just why do we have to wear a mask and they're not any good for you and you're going to trap CO2 in there. And however, I mean, I have said here and there among the angry pushback from the legislature. And let's let's get real. The reason they pass the suit ultimately is because this money was requested by the Northwest Arkansas Council, which equals Tyson, Walton, J.B. Hunt, Simmons, Georges. I mean. If it hadn't had the biggest high-dollar lobbyist in, in Arkansas behind it, they probably wouldn't have gotten it. And I, number one, there is, I think, Missy Irvin, who I'm not her greatest admirer, had a valid question. Is I, We're spending tens of millions on testing. How did these people get overlooked in the first place? I mean, it ain't a secret that the Latino and Marshall populations have been extraordinarily hit. Just now, we're getting serious about it? I mean, WTF. I mean, I think that was fair, and I think also this administration has got has a competence problem. I mean, I think workforce services is a mess. Both the regular unemployment and pandemic unemployment are disasters. 
people can't get help and they can't get through and they can't get answers. That's just a fact. And and this this is happening all all over. You know, we got a transformation agency that does a contract with some company for some kind of web work that they say it's going to be free and but it's going to actually cost us more because the, the people we're going to have to hire. I, I just think this this any image that this administration is competent is 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 badly mistaken. Uh, meanwhile, I can't remember if we mentioned this last week, but uh, Jason Rapert was hospitalized for uh, the virus. He had pneumonia as well. Uh, I believe that he's been released from the hospital this week. But uh, <laughs> despite the ailment, he he managed to do a lot of social media. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Rapert, he just I mean, some people said some ugly things about him and, and I, I haven't and I'm not going to. I'm, well, I mean, I'll say ugly things about his politics. It's execrable. But but I mean, I'm not happy he's sick. How could you be happy anybody's sick? And but a lot of people are. And that's mean. And but, you know, he spent all his time just praying for awful things to happen to his enemies. You know, it's just classic raper. By the way, I mean, the last Facebook post I saw from him said he hoped to be released from the hospital this weekend. He apparently has been in Conway regionally, put a picture of himself on Facebook. I have to say, it looked like he got pretty sick. He looked pretty warm, wrung out. I'll say that. But, you know, he also jumped on the health director. He said, don't trust Jose Romero because Romero had told him the guidelines for people who've been seriously ill and been hospitalized is they got to go 20 days before they're okay to be out in public again. And, and somehow Raper thought that was wrong and he was lying to him. And, you know, I mean, Raper is just kind of unhinged, but, uh, don't forget to me. <laughs> did I, did we mention the olive oil poured on his memorial? Anyway, I'd have to just my favorite story of the week, but anyway, uh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, on the 10th commandment yeah. monument. Yeah. No, I learned this week that the state Capitol police had come up, on a group of women circling his Ten Commandments monument at the Capitol July 15th, and one of the women pulled a bottle from out under his shirt and poured something on the monument. Well, it turned out it was olive oil, and the women said they were they were praying for law enforcement officers, and the olive oil pour was a 47-year-old real estate agent from Benton, and they referred to the prosecutor said, this ain't a crime, boys. I'm not going to prosecute this thing, but, uh, but it cost $850 to clean up the monument from the olive oil. I guess this was maybe something of a religious ritual, perhaps anointing the Ten Commandments. I don't know. But Jason uh, managed to stay silent on that, which I'm kind of surprised because he's rarely silent on anything. And speaking of monument desecration, apparently somebody spray painted something on one of the Confederate monuments at the Capitol the other day. They arrested the guy. So uh, monument desecration is, is in vogue, apparently. Before we leave COVID-19 behind, uh, the Marshall Project had uh, had a study that they put out this week uh, that showed that Arkansas had the highest per capita rate of infected prisoners uh, in in the country, and one of the highest rates of infected uh, staff members. And if you don't happen to think prisoners are people, maybe you care more about the people who work at the prisons. <laughs> Another one of these incredible Asa Hutchinson moments. Were you there when he was asked about this? Were you watching? And he oh, said, yeah. oh, that's because we test so much better than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God damn, please. 
it's not because we just have in prisons full of infected people, which let me also my pet peeve of the day. They announced a couple more deaths in the prisons. I don't know how many there have been now, quite a few, but they announced two more yesterday at the Washita River Unit down in Malvern. And one of them was a guy in his 70s who was serving a sentence for a drug charge. And I thought, do we really need a sick old man in his 70s serving out a drug charge sentence in our prison? Really? I mean, is that really a good idea? I just, I mean, I don't know all the circumstances. Got another guy in his 60s who was in there for kidnapping. That's, that's a different deal, but drug charges <laughs> seems crazy to me. All right, well, let's move on to uh, various odds and ends. I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, have given up trying to understand all the ins and outs of the Pope County uh, casino saga. So can you give us the latest? Oh, man, is, is there any way to boil it down? Well, let me try and boil it down. The State Racing Commission yesterday voted three to two to give the permit to Gulfside Casino Partnership of Mississippi, despite the fact that these are some real high binders. These guys have had have a past littered with, with questionable entanglements and various other business ventures, but they sweet-talked a majority of the commission, and so forget all the stuff about the law and rules and scoring, and it's just a mishmash of forever. For now, these guys have the permit although the Cherokee Nation application was clearly superior in terms of financing ability and experience in casino operation. It, what the politics were that sw- swayed in their favor, I'm not entirely sure. Someday we'll know. But, but rest easy. There are a number of lawsuits pending. They're not going to start building this casino anytime soon. And in fact, there's one really interesting lawsuit which is filed by people in Russellville who say they're opposed to any casino. I'm still not sure they're not loosely related with the Choctaw tribe, which has kind of been lurking in the background on this all along. And that is, they say that it's a procedural lawsuit. And without going into the particulars, it's just that they reached this casino permit decision contrary to, to the rules of the agency. They can do it, but they need to adopt new rules to do it, to do it right. And, and so that I, I'm not entirely sure that lawsuit doesn't have merit. And so this whole thing may, God help us may get replayed someday, but for now, a Mississippi casino operator is in the driver's seat on the Russellville casino deal. Uh, this is uh, municipal filing um, deadlines uh, are, are this next week. And we've, we've had some, some entrance so far for city board and for Little Rock School District. Yeah, well, we got on the city board. We've got a challenger for Joan Adcock, Greg Henderson. He said he was going to run the Rock City Eats publisher, and uh, he ran you know, un- unsuccessfully against Irma Hendricks uh, last election. Yeah, and and then uh, the most it's there no Kathy Peck's file for re-election. No opponent yet. Probably will get one. Uh, Dean Compuris ha- is going to run again for his at-large seat. He hadn't filed yet. He will file. Nobody's filed for a seat yet. But the most interesting seat, and, and I don't know where it's going to end up, but it's already somewhat interesting, is uh, the Gene Fortson's at-large city director seat. He's not going to run again. And so far, two candidates have filed, both kind of well-known to us. One is Antoine Phillips, the lawyer who is sort of the running mate podcaster with Charles Blake, who happens to be the mayor's chief of staff. Uh, 
for that seat. And also, uh, LaRon McAdoo, who's a teacher and poet and MC and interesting guy and community activist experience and community activism, both, uh, for all I know, pretty good candidates, both of them. Uh, but the interesting fact is, is that it's unavoidable to note this in Little Rock politics. They're both African-American. So while there is a, the African-American vote in Little Rock's about 40% of the vote, it tends to vote fairly uniformly. But faced with two black candidates, uh, there may be a division of that vote. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But particularly if some other candidates step forward, particularly somebody that is more like an establishment business community guy like Gene Fortson was. The business community likes to control those at-large seats because they're very influential. So don't know exactly yet how it'll turn out, but even if it's just the two of them together, that'll be a very interesting race. Yeah, well, you, uh, uh, Antoine is probably more progressive than the mayor on most issues, but he is... He's someone that has been involved in the business community for a number of years. He's an attorney, as you say, right, Lindsey Jennings, and will probably be able to raise quite a bit of money. So I, I think you probably would say he's he's got the edge in that race from from that. But but it will be interesting to see if others enter. There's been a uh, rumor about a Latino candidate uh, getting in that. So we'll have to watch well, that. That'd be good. That'd be and, good. Uh, and then the. The school board, there's still likely to be quite a few candidates uh, emerge. Uh, most of those who've announced are familiar names, uh, at least for LRSD community. Yeah, we've got, I mean, well, Allie Nolan, who's written for us and has been really an activist for the district, has filed for the Hillcrest Heights uh, zone area. I guess there's this, there's a race that's already developed. It'll be very interesting, I suspect because the candidates so far are Jeff Woods, who's the Hutchinson administration appointee to the, the puppet community advisory board, but he comes from a conservative end of the spectrum. At one point, he expressed support for continuing state control of the district, which from my point of view is a non-starter, but I'm not in his own, so I won't have a vote. But you wrote a story about a very promising candidate, uh, and I butchered her name on a on my video last night, so I'm going to leave it to you. But she's a scientist on the UA Little Rock faculty and two kids in the school and just seems like one of those just really dedicated school kind of people that sounds like she'd be good. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, she goes by Bao, I know it's her first name. Um, that, that STEM angle... Uh, is is something that that uh, she can play on that the district has certainly emphasized. Um, uh, you also had uh, I don't know if people picked this out, but um, I think signatures still pending. But Sandrika Morning is is uh, I think the the given name of Drika Wrights, who we've we've written about quite a bit. She's been real active in the uh, George Floyd Black Lives Matter protest. She was on our cover actually. Uh, for July. Um, so she's a, a young arts uh, activist, arts educator. Um, and then I saw today that Vicki Hatter, who's a longtime um, school advocate, is going to file. So some, some good candidates shaping up. All right, well, let's leave yeah, it there. The, the most interesting thing there is will the Walton money come in? They, they have come in in many other cities to influence school board elections and that's that's the thing I'm waiting for to see if they show up.
Well, and I, I've heard rumblings of a more establishment candidate gathering signatures to oppose Ali Nolan. So that that could be a big money race. And uh, you would think that Ali would have the edge because she has such a high profile and is so widely respected among school folks. But um, I don't know. Well, the big difference is, of course, this year, thanks to Republicans in the legislature, they now will have the school elections during the general election, a presidential election at that. Whereas before school elections were held independently and turnout wasn't so high and they tended to be people who were really interested in the schools. Now you're going to have some people that are just going to vote that, that not only don't have kids in school, don't give a shit about the Little Rock School District. And they could, if there is a big money candidate in there that has a lot of TV that's misleading, uh, it could be a factor. All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? Oh, man, you know, my life is just so constricted, except I, I got to, I mean, I've endorsed trios before for their pickup, but they've got it down. I mean, it works, it works like a charm. They're an ordering system. You can slot a, every 15 minute window for pickup. They deliver it with gloves and mask on, but the food is good. Chicken, chicken enchiladas are a standby, but I, I ordered special some peanut butter pie, and I remembered, and they made one for me, and I bought a whole one, and I remembered how good they were. But here's here's the deal I want to say. They sell wine that you can pick up with your dinner for as cheap as $10 a bottle. I mean, you, oh. you can you cannot beat their wine. They got a rosé for 10 I got some great Pinot Noir for like $14 a bottle. I, I don't know how they're doing it. Maybe they're just clearing out their cellar because they're not in the restaurant, but I mean, go and order a, a container of chicken salad and a couple of bottles of wine. You will not be, you will not regret it. All right. Uh, well, one of one of my chief pleasures of parenting is reading to my kids, and I've I've really tried to uh, make sure that I read all the the classics and and new new great kids books. And uh, one of my favorite finds this year is Adam Gedwitz's. The Inquisitor's Tale, which I think won the Newberry a year or two ago, uh, but it's it's this really cool uh, fiction book that is set in the Middle Ages uh, about these children with possibly magical powers, but also about religion and knowledge and uh, you know tolerance and um, it. Based on the end notes, it seems like he he did a lot of research. In fact, I think that he's married to uh, a scholar of the Middle Ages, a professor of the Middle Ages, so uh, she may have helped. Um, but it also has the you know requisite fart and poop jokes that that <laughs> yeah, that's that's kids always that's always a winner. Appreciate it, but yeah, it's it's a good. Uh, it's probably a middle grades book for kids reading. I'm reading to my soon to be fourth grader. Um, I'll try to read stuff that is a little too hard for him to read on, on his own. So we really, really enjoyed it. Have you read Dolaire's mythology Phil? Oh, well he has committed it to memory. Yeah. We have my, most, my wife read but, it to both our kids and they just ate it up. They love Dolaire's mythology. Yeah. It's, it's, that's every kid should have that in their library. And then if your kids like that, there are all sorts of like there's Dolaire's, um, I think it's Norwegian myths and a book on trolls. They have a lot. Their their catalog is goes deeper than the the, the Greek myths. So 
Check it out. Trolls. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Everybody stay safe and healthy out there, and we'll be back next week. See ya.